Welcome to season two, episode eight of Man in the Making with former monk Rajan Shankara and myself, Rakus. Thank you for joining me, Rajan, for our 20th overall episode. Congratulations, number 20. That's exciting. Awesome. So from my understanding, this episode will be a Q&A. Yes. It's uh, going to be a grab bag of questions that I received from people through across various platforms. A lot of the questions I get online go to my blog. And what I do is I write an article based on questions that people give me. And I try to write every week on those questions. And if I don't get a question or if I don't have time to get to a question, I simply make a blog uh, post about or write an article about um, something that has to do with meditation. So that's what happened this week. Um, But if I go back, uh, I started to get a lot of questions that I kept saving. So um, instead of just answering new questions that are of a similar nature, I can just refer people to uh, the blog or the different coaching videos that I make. So I thought... In case you weren't familiar with it, you, the listener, um, I'd go through a a few of them that are going to range from all kinds of topics, all right? And I thought I'd start with the wildest one first. At least I think it is anyway. Uh, So a few weeks back, someone asked me, can you write an article about the throat chakra? And we've never talked about chakras on this podcast, I don't think, but chakras are a big part of my background, right? Being a a former Hindu monk and a, uh, you know, a theologian and philosopher of Eastern um, origins and chakras are doorways or, and energy centers in the body that are, that are hopefully not to not a, they're hopefully not a topic that people obsess over. And the monks that I trained with were very balanced. And so, uh, and maybe that's why I don't get a lot of questions regarding chakras and the occult and, 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 you know, healing and things like that. Because from the background that I come from, you don't necessarily talk about that kind of stuff openly. You know, you, you don't try to force energy you don't try to change anything about your, you know, diving into past lives and ass- assessing your dreams to the point where you're, you're thinking about it every day and partly in the dream world and, and trying to astral project. Have you ever heard of, uh, Rokas, have you ever heard of astral projection? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and, and, and ha- you, have you ever like read anything about astral projection? Like actually a read a book about it or? No. Just heard about that. Yeah. So I don't know if you're aware or not, but um, some people make it a, a, like a life study. You know what I mean? Um, Does that make sense? Like a life study? They get obsessed over it. Yeah. And didn't practice it. Right. So, so they're partly in the dream world. They're partly in a world where they want to manipulate energies and then they're in this world for part of the time. So 
we were always trained against that kind of stuff. That, is that's it like lucid not... dreaming or is it a bit different? Okay. Lucid dreaming is in the same genre in the same field, but those are two different practices, right? That's like being an umpire in baseball and being a baseball coach. You know, you're both in the same sport, but two different positions. So, um, astral projection is actually it, it's it's the the theory and practice of actually leaving the body as a soul and entering into another body um called the astral body and then you know i guess moving around in this world in that body it's kind of light it's ethereal um and I'm and the, the Eastern philosophical system that I follow, which is Hinduism, teaches about the astral body and and historically, you know, agrees and believes that the astral body exists. But astral projection is the is is a what we would call a side tra- uh, side path, and, and basically. A, a distraction of what its original, like what its origins kind of try to teach and trying to get into that kind of stuff, especially and lucid dreaming, you know, lucid dreaming is the, um, is the, the practice of controlling your dreams. So you're totally in the subconscious. You're, you're, you're aware and fully awake inside of a dream and you're, I don't know, doing whatever you want inside of the dream world, which is infinite, right? I mean, and people get, people get into that. People uh, study it and they want to have more control over these areas. Not something that monks that I was trained with advise. And I rarely will advise that someone learn about their past lives you know let's say they're getting into reincarnation and they want to find out who they were they want to see if they had uh, trauma from a past life i rarely will recommend that that's something worth thinking about at all because it's usually not Um, what we want to focus on is in this life and what we want to focus on is this world earth and the physical nature and um, getting, you know, the basic character traits of discipline and good habit forming and positive feedback loops, you know, and we want to have positive relationships, things like that are going to be the most beneficial from now onward. Whereas these things, these occult practices, um, in other worlds, so to speak, um, I don't believe that they translate well to this world and to, and to our life. But can they boost productivity? Uh, not creativity. I mean, can they boost? Creativity? Can they boost creativity? Yeah. What do you What do you mean um, by that? Can, since can, you find different perspectives on things. So, as an example, if you have um, not a topic, not sure how to phrase it, but if you go into the lucid dream with the goal of seeing something from a different perspective and maybe that can help yeah i mean i'm again i 
I don't think I'm a hundred percent convinced that none of these things are help are ever helpful. I, I think there are cases and situations where, you know, if you're, especially if you're kind of psychic um, and these things may become natural to you, then I would say then that can be matured and you can evolve into that practice that benefits your life. I'm, I'm all for it if that's the way it is. I caution against the obsessive, like the, the, you know, destruction of normal life for this new art that no one else can be a part of, you know, especially the, your family. So, or if you have a partner or a spouse and children, um, I've seen these things um, alienate people and push them away from society. And it, they can, it has the ability to wreak havoc on people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it also seems everything you were saying now, um, you could probably say about virtual reality then as well. The things coming out with virtual reality, the headsets or the games and everything, they, yeah. they would know, have the same effect then, right? I've never really... That's a really good point. I've never thought about it. And the monks were interested in developing virtual reality, though. They, we did start to uh, research Oculus Rift and whether we could create uh, philosophical um, educational systems around virtual reality and, and augmented reality, um, which is probably the inevitable future and, and advancement beyond virtual reality is augmented reality. Um, but I don't know if it's the same thing because it's, it's in this world. Like, okay. It's to me, the difference is like, that would be a different sport. Like we're not even talking about baseball anymore. Um, like lucid dreaming, for example, you need to be sleeping. Uh, you're not using your physical body. You're using your mind and various parts of the mind. Um, astral projection, you're not using anything in the physical world. You're not using things of earth. You're, you're in another world juxtaposed, I mean, um, superimposed on top of earth. Like, whereas augmented reality and virtual reality seem to be a mixture of everything except more concrete instead of abstract, you're awake, you're functioning, you can communicate with others, you can produce things. You know what I mean? It's, it seems to me like that's a little different. But the I would, way technology I, is going, that's what Elon Musk says, uh, there'll come a point not too far away where virtual reality will be in, indistinguishable from reality. Yeah, so that's in wild. That case, um, I'm sure a lot of people will be really immersed into it. And what you were saying before does seem like it would apply. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're going to have to find a balance like anything else. Um, I think that in, in my lifetime, my credit card will be in my eye one day. Like I'll have a retina scan of who I am and, and all my information and everything. And I'll be able to walk into Whole Foods or something and I don't have to talk to anyone. I don't have to interact with anyone. I go in, 
I grab whatever I want. And, and as I went in, all my, my information was already scanned via my eye. And then I'll walk out with whatever I want and, and I'll be charged as soon as yeah. I pass the area. I, yeah, that's I think the possibility. Yeah, I think that's totally realistic. And I'm, I'm ready. Like, bring it on. Um, I can't wait till my information is in my finger or, or in my eye or whatever. Like, I'm, to, to get rid of a wallet, to get rid of these things that I have to hold with me, man, thank God, good riddance. Like, I know some people are scared of that kind of stuff, but I am, I am all for technology that makes your life more um, simple. And, and I'm not paranoid at all about conspiracy. I'm not kind of one to think that someone is watching my data so that they could maliciously attack my information. I'm, I'm more of a practical, I guess, thinker where I know like people are watching my data, but I think it's just to like make money and, and sell me something that I'm interested in. Like I click on something or I talk to Helena about something and all of a sudden what I just talked about ends up on a Facebook ad to buy. You know what I mean? Yeah. But now I think we'll be going off topic of this because it's fine in, let's say in America, but in places like China, where the government uses that information to potentially arrest people, then that's a different story. Well, arrest them the for what? Um, that's a lot of things. It's really strict. Yeah. I can't remember so, the example now, but I, I used to think the same way as what you were just saying, but in China, it is a lot different. And that kind of t advancements in technology could be very harmful for the people because of how the government would use that information oh okay so i'm all i'm i'm all for keeping people safe against malicious attacks and like m malware on people's information and you know if once technology goes into the body and in the retina scans and everything i'm all for virus protection and things like that because that can get crazy but to me what it sounded like is you just went from a democracy to a dictatorship and i think that there'd be a difference like no one would no one in america would support the di the dictation that goes on in in china like you know right of, of course they're gonna or maybe russia is gonna abuse its citizens because of their dictatorship uh style of of uh, government but in america you know, that would be crossing the lines of what the constitution was built on, yeah. where I, I don't think those countries have constitutions built by the people for the people. Um, you know what I, I mean? That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. I agree with you though. Like if it's, it, everything is good until it's not. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, I wrote this, uh, I did want to answer the question though. And so I wrote the article and basically, um, if anyone is interested in the chakras, uh, let's just get that out of the way now, basically in the, uh, Eastern philosophical system of, um, both Hinduism, um, and Buddhism, you have 
uh, three bodies, basically. You have the um, physical body that we're in right now and that I'm using to talk. We have the astral body, and then we have what's known as the causal body. Now, these are three uh, sheaths, so to speak, uh, three layers of the person, and the spirit resides um, over them, not necessarily in them. And in our system of philosophy, um, we have these energy centers or doorways that act as um, consciousness um, representations of consciousness. So if I'm, uh, and what normally people don't know is that there's, it's believed that there's seven chakras in the, in the, from the base of the spine up to the head. Um, so we have base of the spine, uh, navel region, solar plexus, heart, throat, uh, in between the eyebrows and the crown of the head or the top of the head. Those would be the seven centers for the, this body. And then it's, it, it goes further that there's seven below um, in through the legs uh, from the feet up to the base of the spine and then seven above the crown of the head. So there'd be 21 total. And a lot of people don't know that that last part about the 21 total. It's um, popularly or commonly known as only seven. Um, of the seven, uh, we have the Vishuddha, which I was asked about. That's the throat chakra. That is where um, we have uh, universal or divine love. Uh, most people would think that uh, love is in the heart, but that's actually not the case in um, uh, Hindu philosophy. Um, the heart center is cognition, so it's basically understanding. Now, an easy way to understand the chakras is basically going through your life um, from when you were a child up through um, to when you die, you go through various levels of maturation, right? When you're a kid, you don't know much. And around a certain age, you start asking why, 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 why? And that corresponds with the Svadhisthana, which is the uh, navel uh, chakra, which has the color orange. So that's a reason and logic. And as we get older, ideally, we go up and up and up in energy centers because our consciousness goes up and all of it is an expression of um, kind of our life evolution. And it doesn't have to go into different realms of balancing this and making sure you're fully in this chakra so that you, you know, love everyone around you and all that. It's very practical. It's very logical. And there's a system to it. Um, and we don't necessarily want to go into the chakras and try to manipulate them and balance them and all that stuff. They're fine on their own. Leave them alone. Uh, just live your life. Try to be a good person and the rest will happen naturally when it should. We don't try to force movement into one chakra to another. Now, the throat chakra, the Vishuddha, um, is considered a divine love region and uh, it's controlled by the endocrine glands, thyroid and parathyroid and it has a smoky purple-blue color assigned with the metal uh, mercury. So it's a, an area of consciousness that um, successful meditation or drugs can get you to, 
if anyone has taken the drug uh, ecstasy or MDMA, uh, you have the um, feeling of complete and total acceptance of everything that is, and that can actually be attained in meditation, um, which it really isn't that difficult with a few years of dedicated practice. So uh, the last, I just want to read, I kind of sum up the entire thing with um, the natural progression of chakras is before we can climb out of willpower and into cognition, so basically from the solar plexus chakra to the heart chakra, we must understand trauma and trauma that happened to us specifically. Before climbing or evolving out of the heart chakra to the throat chakra, we must resolve anger. Before climbing up to intuition or the area in between the eyes, we must have compassion for all that exists. And before going from intuition to the top of the head, uh, the highest chakra to enlightenment, we must be able to detach from the notion of power and being above anyone or anything else. And then I end with, don't try to balance a chakra, see a past life, wish for global enlightenment or attain powers of clairvoyance. Don't get angry, laugh more than you cry, treat others with acceptance and love and let the rest come on its own. And that's kind of how I sum up uh, the throat chakra and um, all chakras in general and, and uh, just highly advise people to not try to force things and especially um, do that with, uh, you know, chemical substances um, that come out of a lab. I don't recommend manipulating dopamine and serotonin um, through uh, drugs. Anything on that, uh, Rokas? Anything that sticks out? Or should I move on to the next question? Um, good to move on. All right. Um, if everyone has uh, gotten past that part and still listening, I, I would love and Rokas would love if you gave a review on Apple uh, iTunes and um, we would really appreciate that. Give a rating, be honest and give an honest review and we will be forever grateful. The next question that I got, uh, this must have been a few weeks ago. What do you think about the state of affairs in America right now, socially and politically, or our current cycle? Politics is a bit elementary because it's so fabricated, but what do you see in the collective society and collective energy of the world and the impact on one's spirit? Okay, so I answered this question very um, basically because I am not a political genius, nor do I care that much about politics. Um, I care more about um, my own path and my path making a crossing with others and helping in any way I can. And that so far has not had anything to do with politics. And um, out of the several, uh, well, let's see, I've probably worked with about um, 800 different individuals in the past 10 years, I would say that uh, politics has maybe come up twice, to be honest. So uh, I don't feel like politics um, needs to get involved in your life if you don't want it to. 
Now, of course, that would change if um, things drastically shifted and we went from you know, a, a democracy to a dictatorship, for example, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. And we have a constitution that ideally has enough checks and balances to prevent that. So I also did not disagree with what is going on in the government today. Um, there are um, a, a lot of signs uh, via uh, like the health of a country um, markers um, that are positive. And, and not only in our country, in the US, uh, but around the world. I, I can't speak for the UK. Uh, Rokas, I'm sorry. Is is everything okay in the UK? Oh, well, Brexit happened, but haven't it happened? But not much has actually happened. I think that's later down the line. That you know what's funny when changing. when when Brexit first came up in the news, I remember seeing this glo this Google statistic or or thing like that that uh, said the moment after it was decided that it would happen. The, the biggest Google search the next day was what is Brexit like around, the, around yeah. the world. Yeah. Now that is scary. So you can see how I think everyone, uh, uh, not everyone, I think a lot of people think like I do, to be honest, they have this, you know, maybe a general understanding of what's going on. And as long as their life is not too intruded upon, they're not going to really dive deep into researching different this and that. It's, it's kind of a, a field that you have to dive into to understand. And I have a high amount of respect for politicians. Uh, I mean, to be able to understand uh, a lot of social topics and uh, socioeconomic topics and be able to uh, fluently speak about uh, different things really requires uh, daily effort and immersion into that culture. And, and I simply have never done that. I immersed myself into a religious and uh, meditative lifestyle and culture. And that is why I um, pontificate basically on different uh, spiritual topics. But I'll just read a couple things that I thought was cool. Global, global poverty is declining. GDP per capita has increased rapidly since the 1950s. Child mortality is at an all-time low. Life expectancy is higher. Since only 20 years ago, entire countries have been lifted out of hunger and undernourished populations. Education and literacy levels have improved throughout the world and continue to get better every year. Now, those are actual, those aren't opinions. Those are uh, statistical facts from ourworldindata.com. So those are all great things. And the challenge with listening to um, a biased uh, news station is that you will only get a certain perspective. Um, and hey, that's your right. That's your freedom in most countries. And if you choose to get that perspective and run with it, that's, that's awesome. For me, I choose positivity. Um, I love hearing positive news and I try not to um, immerse myself in uh, a lot of negativity for example, in, in, the, in America, if you turn on the news, you're really only going to hear about things that aren't going right and aren't going well and things that could be better. And you kind of have to dig and do some research online to find out that everything is, is actually going pretty well. Um, 
and most people in the world today uh, live better than uh, royalty did in the past, you know, 100 to 200 years ago. And, um, you know, just having basic plumbing and refrigeration is a luxury. So there's that. And that's kind of what I stand by. And, but I'm open to also shifting my perspective if something better um, and, you know, comes along or something that does need the attention of the general population. Um, so basically, one of the things that stands out to me in this answer is a mystic doesn't hold to these matters to be important to the overarching theme of spiritual attainment. Neither are they the be-all and end-all of one's own sense of contentment. So to me, the underlying um, point to the answer of the question is uh, don't let things affect you emotionally if you can avoid it, if, if you can control it, if you can uh, do your best to be unaffected, you know, and that doesn't mean to, to be a pushover, you know, just because you're detached and content and positive doesn't mean that you're naive to think that the world is perfect. So it's important to get involved with, you know, political matters. It's everyone's right to vote. And uh, that's a wonderful thing. And you can get involved with your local government. And you can, if you try it hard enough, you can probably get involved in government all the way up to the top. Um, I'm, I'm, I am convinced in that. And if you actually went to Washington in the U.S., or I don't know how it is in the UK, if you went to your, what is it, parliament or something? Uh, for what? To make, a, to make a difference, to make a statement, you know? Like in the US, for example, Rokas, if you went to Washington, D.C., you know, and, and tried hard enough, I think you could get into like the office of a senator or a congressman. I think you can get fairly close to these people. And, you know, it, there's, there's tiers, right? There's local government, uh, mayors, governors, and then uh, higher politicians in the tier and in the ladder. So yeah, everything's this tiers here as well, but yeah. I don't really know how it works. Yeah, so everything's fairly accessible, I'm sure. Um, and, and that's all well and good. And if you want to get involved, by all means, do so. But my point is, and what the, the person asking the question uh, was trying to get at was, you know, these things don't have to affect your happiness and sadness. You don't have to, you don't have to get emotionally um, wrapped up and, and distraught if you hear something bad on the news. You can um, remain content no matter what's going on around you. And honestly, as we've talked about on this podcast before, that means even from, you know, from mon the mundane uh, to the most severe type of injustices in life, um, you know, amazing people. And, and one of the books we need to go over is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Even some of the most severe injustices that can happen to you in life can be, um, you know, like your operating system can be um, uh, like overrun and, and, and controlled and you don't have to react negatively if you um, see things that way, if you understand what I'm talking about. And I think 
uh, regular listeners to the podcast will understand what I'm talking about because they've heard the other episodes and, and the things that people have gone through and yet have come out um, better for it and not, not um, you know, basked in sorrow and, and complaint and, and uh, misery. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's focus kind of, on things you can control. Yeah, exactly. So um, that was my, my answer to the state of the country and, um, you know, basically the state of the world, I guess. Don't let it, don't let it get to you. Do your thing. Uh, you do you. And no one um, should have control over your equanimity except for you. All right. A good friend of mine asked me a question not long ago about forgiveness. And uh, he asked me just to write about the general topic of forgiveness, in which I did. And I think uh, this was an interesting one. This was a challenging one to, to write about. Um, it was hard to express in words uh, the feeling of, of how one matures through um, the need to be forgiven or the ability to forgive others. Uh, that's but something that I had to learn um, from my youth, um, you know, up until I was a very old, old man at the age of 30. So basically the point of the, the forgiveness is, um, you know, can we forgive others and do we have to, uh, you know, do we need to forgive others even if they don't outwardly have remorse? And that's a tough one. And then the other thing is, you know, can we see that we've also done things that are out of place and should we be forgiven for those? So there's all kinds of things that uh, forgiveness touches on. And I'll just highlight, um, I think, the crux of the answer. I was taught from my guru that forgiveness is not just a sign of physical maturity, but also a sign of spiritual unfoldment. Seeing the larger picture of one's own karma, and likewise the karma of everyone involved, is only possible once spiritual practice has taken hold in our lives. Before we become detached, we are going to be so wrapped up in ego and what happens to it that we won't be able to see the bigger picture. We will only see the hurt and think, why me? Okay, so that's very common. People everywhere, every single person has trauma, usually from their past, usually from family. Okay, so that's just normal. It's ubiquitous. It's a part of human nature. It's to, it's to mess people up as we figure out how to, to raise them. Um, and people do the best they can. And sometimes the best they can is downright terrible. Um, you know, and that comes with resentment and being bitter as you get older and, and confusion and messing up future relationships and being, uh, you know, having anxiety for all kinds of reasons. So my suggestion in that first paragraph is that, is, is that of my gurus. It's a, it's a process of maturity and spiritual unfoldment. And, and eventually we get to a, a, a content um, and complete belief that we can forgive anyone. We can forgive any of our wrongdoers because we see a larger picture of 
um, karma, basically action and reaction. You do good, good comes back to you. You do bad, bad comes back to you. You do nothing, then no vibration it has been has been manipulated. There's nothing going on. Okay, I, I went on to say younger souls will want to hold on to grudges and make it very clear to the people that hurt them that they remember. The amount of past grudge knots bound up in bodies of young souls is seen as dark colors in the inner worlds. And they express themselves as anxiety and disease in this world. So um, I was uh, lucky enough to be a part of a monastic uh, order of monks that had writings from uh, like clairvoyant writings. So basically um, one of the monks could, you know, channel um, someone who is in, the, is in another world and bring through information from that world. Now this is all based in uh, faith and, and, you know, trust in that this process is true and so those that, who are listening that have studied this before will understand what I'm saying. If you've never um, taken any of that, what I just said, into account, this is a whole other area that we can talk about if you um, send us a question. Um, if some people didn't have grudges, they wouldn't have anything at all. Okay, so... Basically, we, what I was saying was, uh, so this, so some of the monks were able to create um, books based on um, these clairvoyant readings and uh, clairaudient readings and and uh, listening into other worlds and things like that. And so, um, you know, the the part part of our scripture in Hinduism and part of the the psychic um, books that were created in the monastery that were just for the monks explain that um, these type uh, these types of grudges that we go through this type of trauma you know held on to actually stick in the body like and how we talked about different bodies um, earlier we have these three of them the the middle one the astral body that we're most connected to next to the physical has these has these dark uh, uh, kind of gooey inner world uh, spaces and spots and they represent they express themselves uh, in this world as disease illness confusion depression anxiety um, and all these things uh, tend to mess with the the host right the the soul uh, and they express themselves in the physical body so we don't want to hold grudges. That, that's the point. And I end by saying the wise know that the attacker, attacked and attacking are all done by the same soul. So that sentence means um, everything is a uniform, uniform uh, whole and an interrelated cosmic connect, you know, connectivity that if, if we're spirits, then we're all actually one spirit. Like, uh, like, flames spit out from a bonfire older souls who have taken time to learn about self-care philosophy karma and the bigger picture will undoubtedly move on quickly from their conflicts forgive their wrongdoers and chalk it up to life experience they know that holding on to a grudge and not forgiving is like keeping venom in your blood after being bitten by a snake 
the wisest position of all is to see your attacker as a teacher in disguise and a bringer of karma. And so uh, that's why I love Hinduism. That's why I love karma and, and reincarnation. Um, these, to me, anyways, answer a lot of questions that people have about life. And I actually just ran into someone the other day um, at the athletic club that I trained people in. It was another trainer had uh, an issue. His friend, he had three friends die in the span of like two weeks, you know, awful situation. And it, it sent him through a rabbit hole of, of questions like why, you know, why would anything like that happen? Why me? Why didn't I die, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and those are very common questions. And they're good questions, you know. Uh, why in the hell would that happen? So to me, I, you know, and he was telling me this because I was a former monk and he knows that. And he's like, you know, venting to me, which is, uh, why, you know, part of the reason why I'm there. And, you know, he's saying, you know, a part of me knows I'll never know the answer. And whenever I hear that, I, I just think, well, actually, that's not true in my system. Like, and that's not true in, in, to a mystic who makes it a, a life study and an obsession to understand the nature of the world and of the mind. And it just always fascinates me that that's my answer. And it's, it's one of confidence. It's, it's a one of massive amount of faith. And it's a faith that uh, I certainly choose to uphold, even though I'm not a monk anymore. Uh, that training is just in there. So uh, that's what I thought about forgiveness, at least for that part. Is that, Rokas, did you, did you have any thoughts about, uh, you know, what, what, what I'm talking, what the hell I'm talking about? Um, so is this the type of forgiveness where you could say, how do you stop people from taking advantage of you if you're always forgiving? Yeah, exactly. Excellent point. Right. And that's what I touched on earlier about, uh, what did I, I talked about something about, just because you see the world differently doesn't mean that you're a pushover, right? So just because you have the ability to forgive and um, especially with that first book I wrote, everything is your fault. Okay. Just because you take responsibility for things as much as you can and be a leader as much as you can, it doesn't mean you're a pushover and there's a nuance and minutia to, to every aspect in every situation that you go through with this philosophy so you absolutely don't put up with everything you, you don't just lie down and let people manipulate and walk over you and you stand up for yourself and if, if you have to but if you know in the, in the event that you have the opportunity to forgive you inwardly begin there. You inwardly, in your own mind, in your own being, forgive. And you, you set yourself straight. And then outwardly, that's a different story. Outwardly, you follow the dictates of the law. If someone broke, you know, broke a, a law, committed a crime against you, 
you prosecute them to the full uh, power uh, that you have as a citizen of your country. You, um, you do what you can to make things right outwardly, but you don't let that stop you inside yourself. Inside yourself, you know that those things happened because they had to. You know, there's a lesson in there that the mystic understands, that the warrior understands that they had to endure. But you don't just, uh, you know, someone wrongs you, you don't just forgive them and, and never talk about it. No, that, that's not the philosophy. This is, this is an inward versus outward battle. And inwardly, you need to make sure that those dark knots of grudge and, and horror aren't stuck within you. You resolve those and then outwardly pursue um, justice as is fitting for the occasion and the event. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 That's, that's an amazing uh, point. And thank you for saying that because everyone listening was thinking of that. Mm -hmm. um, someone asked me, if I could write about, uh, I'd love to see your thoughts on how herbs play a part in our soul's work. Okay, so I didn't quite answer this question, I think, the way they wanted, because I don't know what soul's work necessarily means. But here's how I answered the question. So uh, I, I remade the question in my mind, and, and I had it say, how do you think uh, herbs play a part in our life? Okay, and by that they meant... Um, well, let me say, I define that as herbs, roots, and seeds. Okay. So, um, having come from an Eastern background, I, uh, first followed the, uh, methodology and system of Indian medicine called Ayurveda. And Ayurveda is one of history's, uh, most ancient, um, uh, forms of healing and, uh, preventative medicine and preventative care. Uh, right next to uh, ancient Chinese medicine, which is um, also one of history's oldest uh, methods of healing. Uh, next to those two are early, and the next civilizations would be Egypt and uh, Greece in the hierarchy of uh, historical medicine arts. Western medicine, of course, is... Uh, one we're most familiar with and then that can be defined and, and specified to antibiotics and um, compounds created by uh, scientists to destroy bacteria um, which are good up to a certain point just like I said earlier everything is good until it's not so my philosophy is eastern medicine first Western medicine second. I don't believe that one is better than the other. I believe that each has their own place uh, for the right case. Now, that's not always easy. Um, and I am not a doctor. Um, and I am not professionally um, qualified to advise on medical topics. However, this is a podcast and I was asked to give my opinion. And so this is my opinion. Um, Eastern medicine is preventative healthcare. It advises that you don't get sick in the first place by following certain rules. And then you never have to worry about, uh, ideally never have to worry about, um, you know, 
killing bacteria. The challenge with probiotics is that, um, I'm sorry, the challenge with antibiotics is that uh, it just it's, it doesn't discriminate between bacterias. It just kills both the good and the bad bacteria. And we know that most of our body is, or a lot of our body is beneficial bacteria. Um, and adding more bacteria with probiotics is good. Uh, again, if you, if you have the right balance of uh, bacteria and not just take a probiotic just for the hell of it. Um, some people will have uh, a colony or two of different bacterias and you don't necessarily need to supplement with more of them. You will have an imbalance and thus need to get that figured out. So I recommend that people study Ayurveda and Chinese preventative care since these are ancient medicines, obviously, if you break your leg, you're going to need some stitches. Um, things to take on a regular basis. Again, in my opinion, I am not a doctor. Ashwagandha, boswellia, cumin, turmeric, licorice root, cardamom. Those are some basic uh, herbs, roots, and seeds that uh, tend to be uh, anti-inflammatory. Um, anti-anxiety, especially for ashwagandha. Um, uh, Anti-tumor. Uh, let's see. Licorice root. Test tube and human studies suggest that licorice root may help reduce inflammation and fight viruses and bacteria. So what the Eastern uh, systems have done is they've added them to their food. For example, you can take turmeric, a root, anti-inflammatory, um, all around good stuff and just put it uh, in food and you're adding turmeric to your daily diet. Thus, hopefully you're taking in compounds from the earth that reduce inflammation and things like that. I am all for it, but I would love to um, talk a bit about the ending of this article, which I think is kind of cool. Okay, I'm going to read the last few paragraphs. It might be a little bit, but let's. Uh, but it's it's one of my favorite topics because it's uh, some people love to take it out of out of control and say sugar is going to kill you. All right, I'm not really sure I answered the reader's question in regards to how herbs play a part in our soul's work, but I could look at it now. We have a fleshy, organic body that deteriorates over time. We have a choice, thanks to modern medicine. We could give our body synthetic compounds when we get sick or we can match the body's organic nature and give it holistic natural compounds that come from the earth when it's healthy and do our best to stay healthy. Okay. That's preventative healthcare going for the natural Ayurvedic route makes might make the illness a little less numb and more tough to get through. But at the same time, we don't wipe out our beneficial colonies of bacteria. All right. What I meant by that last sentence is when you go the natural route and uh, let's say you get sick again, um, always consult your medical practitioner before taking the advice of anyone else. But um, let's say you get sick and your first thought is to rush to the hospital and get antibiotics. Okay. And then you get better. You, you're, you're going to get better faster, most likely because Western medicine is so powerful. Um, you know, you're going to sleep better possibly and thus, you know, heal, but you're going to have to rebuild bacteria from your microbiome. You're going to have to rebuild that, that good bacteria that was destroyed. And, you know, that can be uh, detrimental to your overall health. Um, 
Now, if you go the Eastern route, you're not going to go to the hospital, but you're going to consult um, an Eastern physician who has um, practiced the art and gotten qualified certifications. And for example, the monks had one of uh, those types of doctors visit the monastery every two years. And we would, you know, go over certain remedies and things like that and things to avoid, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, those, those types of uh, medicines are going to be based on roots, herbs, and seeds. And so you may actually be sick a little longer. You may have to endure a little longer, but you will be healing yourself naturally and not wiping out bacteria with powerful synthetic drugs. That's the idea. Um, Okay, so I think that's obvious. I'll, I'll go on a little bit more. I, I talk about sugar next. In 2011, the monastery officially changed the amount of sugar we added to our diet. Even by removing uh, honey that we got from our own bees. The reduced sugar diet started in November 2011, and none of the monks got the common flu for about five years. Is it worth it? For example, uh, I know I started writing like this because... Some people are very against sugar. And in fact, I, when you are on a, in, in the small population that we were in of 20 people, uh, reducing sugar, sure enough, reduced uh, the common flu um, contamination for almost five years. And uh, that's, you know, that's a really interesting study, to be honest. And that's not something to just push aside. Um, re reducing sugar indeed did reduce the amount of illness we saw. But I go on to say, is it worth it? And it all depends on your hierarchy of values. I know for me, I was happy when we reintroduced a bit more added sugar into the diet. Yes, the common flu returned to the group, but I'll take a few sick days in order to enjoy a sweeter diet the rest of the year. And I'm being honest. Uh, it, it, okay, let's say sugar does get rid of illness, but a little bit of sugar, you know, moderately creates a a, a, a minor flu once a year, I'll take the minor flu. I recommend using herbs, roots, and seeds as much as we can before we resort to the antibiotic, but I also recommend moderation. Learn about natural remedies as much as you can, but don't avoid illness to the point that it pushes you away from other aspects of life that should be experienced. You know, in other words, don't try to live in a bubble. Don't, don't follow every single healthy thing that you can just to be, you know, 10% healthier than everyone else. I, I think that's great if that's your thing. And I certainly know people that do that. Um, but then again, you want to go out for a beer and some pizza and they can't. So which one are you going to take? I'll take the beer and pizza. Okay. I think that's a pretty good Q&A for now. What, what, do you, what do you think, Rokas? Um, for what you were talking about, the last topic. Uh, why remove honey? I know it's sugar, but it still has a lot of beneficial um, nutrients, if that's the right word. It is the right word. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. And that was a big topic of controversy in the, in the monk community, um, especially since we picked up the, the honey boxes ourselves uh, the honeycombs and fleshed out the honey. And like, that was like a, a, maybe 50 yards from the kitchen. So 
we knew exactly where the honey was coming from. It was all organic. I mean, it was as good as it can get, right? I mean, this was like the world's most purest honey, like grown, like literally trees grown by monks, harvested by bees on monastery property. It doesn't get better than that, in my opinion. Uh, and yet we, we got rid of it. Um, and that's because the monks were extreme. Like, and obviously, right? Like we lived a celibate lifestyle away from the world to attain uh, mastery in meditation. That's pretty extreme. And everything we did tend to have, have an extreme lean to it. So for example, even to our own detriment, you know, um, I went through self, several illnesses um, that lasted for uh, weeks and weeks in order to go through the natural process of not going to the doctor. Um, and that's not necessarily a good thing, right? We should appreciate uh, Western medicine and not, uh, you know, uh, shoo it off like some sort of man-made um, uh, problem. In fact, it's the opposite. It's just moderation. We have to know when to use it at the right time in the right way. And I'm quoting Aristotle there. So uh, we felt that if we're going to get rid of one kind of sugar, we're going to get rid of all kinds of sugar. And, and that kind of all or nothing mentality was prevalent in the monastery. And, and it's prevalent among um, certain groups of people like religious people and um, uh, certain, um, you know, uh, orthodox people, people that, uh, that, that believe in following one way or the highway. And, uh, that's just not my style. So, uh, and, and apparently, you know, it wasn't eventually wasn't the style that, that the, the monks preferred. And so we brought back, um, a bit of sugar into the diet. And one of the challenges was that, uh, moderation was difficult for some of the monks. So, if you had a little bit of honey available, you know, they would go for way too much. And it's like, you know, that's, that's not good in and of its own. So if you, if you stick with moderation, I don't think sugar's a problem, especially if you're an athlete. Um, and that's why, you know, that's, that's really the, interesting what you just said, because you'd expect monks to have the most self-control. Oh, exactly. Practice right. in moderation. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a form of self-control. Yeah, I remember the the first time that uh, I saw Doritos in the monastery, and I was like, "What's going on?" You know, I was a young <laughs> monk, and I was like on the path, right? I was hardcore, um, and I was like, well, "What is this?" And they're like, "Oh, we get chips every now and then, you know, for just to kick back." And I was like, "No, you know, they can't be. <laughs> it's not good." And I was like protesting about it, and everyone was like, "Geez, relax, like quit being a pill." And I learned that, uh, thank God to, to one of the other monks who, who like sat me down and talked to me about it. Uh, he was like, you know, one of the best spiritual practices is just not be an asshole. Like one of the best ways to be a spiritual person is to not be a pill and, and just to relax and not bother anyone if you can avoid it and, and go about your business. But, uh, you know, moderate 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 and, and and that's what uh oddly enough that that's what well not oddly enough that coincidentally that's what um the buddha taught right uh siddhartha um who was a hindu prince uh to be a king uh one day in the, i believe the 
Pandian Empire. Don't quote me on that. So he left home, right? He left wealth in order to go to the woods and, and figure out what death and, and, and decay was all about because he had never had that in his youth. And um, he went to the extreme. And there's uh, visual representations of this. There's the Buddha pictures and art of him extremely uh, emaciated and starved. Uh, but then he eventually realized that a moderation, you know, not being too extreme at one side or the other is actually one of the greatest ways to mitigate suffering. And uh, sure enough, I had to go through the same, uh, you know, type of education. While I'll be honest, I'll admit, I, I maintained a strict level of, uh, you know, I leaned towards discipline instead of moderation. Uh, but I would like to think now that I'm maybe a little bit more moderate, you know, instead of sleeping in to 4 a.m. every day, it's 4.30, a little bit more moderate. Um, yeah, so I think that's, that's probably good for today, right, Rokas? Yep. All right, I wanted to uh, just take the end of the episode real quick. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And um, my apologies, it had to be me. You know, you have to listen to me every episode. But we're going to try to get... Helena more often and uh, Helena Rokas and I uh, will be covering some topics and I hope to do some interviews with some wonderful people in the next few episodes. Uh, Rokas and I will be doing those interviews and if you could leave a review, uh, that would be awesome. If you want to email uh, me, that'd be great uh, for more topics or questions, Raj at rajanshankara.com. I'm also really excited. I just released a 30-day meditation program that you can check out um, at my website, rajanshankara.com or courses.rajanshankara.com. And all that stuff will be in the show notes. Rokas, thank you. Awesome. Thank you very much. Looking forward yep. to next week's episode. We'll see everyone then. Aloha.